Well, good morning and welcome to you who are joining us online. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning, worshiping with us to sing and to pray and to hear what God has to say to us this morning. Welcome to what is the last Sunday of 2020. And just by saying that, I almost feel like I need to just go, whew, uh, we made it. It's been, it's been quite a year. It is one that is a memorable year, but one that maybe some of us want to forget. It's hard to imagine that a year ago, uh, something called COVID-19 was something way off in another part of the world that we didn't know too much about. And now it has impacted every aspect of our daily lives. I had no idea that toilet paper was so important to people. But if that wasn't enough, we've also had all sorts of things going on in this year. We've had incredible uh, discussions and debates about racial justice, civil unrest and marches and protests. We've had conversations about these things that we've never had before. And if you were here in Southern California, you were also worried about wildfires. We had people evacuated from homes and we had gray skies and smoky sunsets. And if that wasn't enough, it's also been an election year. Presidential politics debated with our neighbors and, and uh, conspiracy theories and debates about what's fair and not fair. Uh, it's amazing all that we've been through. In getting ready for this morning, I reached out to some of my friends and colleagues and people that I associate with in business and just kind of to check in and say, how did they see this year? How did they experience this year? And one of the things that struck me was how varied the experience of this year has been for us. For some of us, it's been, you know, some minor inconveniences. It's been, you know, staying, working from home and just having to give up the commute. It's meant more time with family. Uh, but for others of us, it's been much more severe. Uh, it's been loss of a job, not just a commute. In some cases, loss of our health, or at least the concern of the loss of our health. People are experiencing this in, in all sorts of different ways. I've been impressed by the people who've maintained these great positive attitudes in the midst of all of this. Actually, it kind of bugs me. No, I'm just kidding. I struggle with uh, being positive in all circumstances. So I envy those people that can maintain that positivity. Um, but even for the people that have been positive, in addition to those who have struggled, I think we're all getting to the point where we are. We're feeling fatigued. We're feeling tired. We've got that desire for things to return back to normal. So even in the midst of all the things that have been going on in our world, We've spent this month of December talking about compassion. We've been talking about the gift of compassion. And today we're going to talk about the idea of compassion released and God's cycle of compassion. Now in the context of 2020, it's probably not too hard of an argument for you to make that we need compassion. We need to receive or feel compassion. The hard sell might be when I tell you that we need to give compassion. That's this idea around compassion released, that we offer compassion to others. But if you're sitting there, depending upon your circumstance, and you're saying, look, I'm just tired. I mean, I'm more frustrated with the people next to me than I feel compassion for them. You're just out of touch. Are we asking the impossible when we say here in 2020 that we need to be compassionate? And my answer to that question is, well, yes, actually, we may be asking the impossible. But the impossible may be exactly what we need. And I'll hopefully explain that a little bit. Here's what I want to do this morning. 
I'm going to do basically three things. One is talk a little bit about how God in his power through us makes that compassion possible, makes it possible that we can share compassion with others. And for those who are struggling a little bit more than others, I want to offer a suggestion about how we maybe process through that, that deep hurt, that deep pain, that deep fatigue. And then finally, I want to end with one more deep dive on the amazing compassion of God to look at it in a very real context of Jesus on earth and how he expressed compassion to the people there that is available to us. So with that in mind, let's get started. But let's start with a review. We've been talking about compassion during the month of December. And one of the first things we've talked about is the Latin root of compassion uh, for the English word. And that Latin root, root means compassion is to suffer with or to suffer together. And we've been talking about how that's especially appropriate at Christmas time. Now, I'm not talking about this Christmas time. I'm not talking about how you have to suffer with those relatives at those gatherings or that uh, difficult conversation. I'm talking about the first Christmas that Jesus came, that God sent his son to earth as a man to be with us, to suffer with us, to enter into our suffering. Now, if you haven't grown up in church or spent a lot of time at church, some of those pieces may be missing. So let me kind of talk it through with you a little bit. Maybe this will help. The idea is that Christmas, the incarnation, God becoming man in Jesus, which we celebrate at Christmas, was God's act of compassion towards us in our need. And you may ask yourself, what, what need is that? What are, what are we talking about? Well, the biblical view is this, is that God created all that there is, heaven and earth, and the final act of his creation was to create human beings, you and me. We are the crown of his creation, his greatest creation. He created us, men and women, to be sort of his second in command, ruling over all that he has created in relationship with him and under his authority. But we, as humans, and you might even be able to relate to this, said, you know what? I kind of like going my own way. God, I don't want to be under your authority anymore. We'll go our own direction, and we rejected his authority. That's not an uncommon experience for many humans to understand that they like being their own boss. But when we did that, it didn't just change the organizational structure. It was the beginning of everything that is wrong with the world in which we now live. We not only separated ourselves and broke our relationship with God, in that act, we created a separation and a brokenness in our relationship with one another. We created the foundation for arguments and fights and disagreements among our fellow humans, our neighbors, and even our family. And further to that, it created a brokenness within ourselves that we no longer, within our psychology and our emotions, relate to ourselves in a proper way. We're troubled within. And that extended to all of the created world, even the environment. That was the situation we had created and there was nothing we could do to fix it. And so at that point, God could have said, well, you made your decision, live with it. You made your bed, lie in it. But he did not do that. The message of Christianity is that God looked at our situation where we could not help ourselves and he came and entered into that. His son born as a man, which we celebrate at Christmas, died and was crucified on our behalf to pay our penalty that we could not pay. 
and was resurrected. We celebrate his birth at Christmas, his death and resurrection at Easter. That is the message of Christianity. And so then the question comes, if that is true, how do we respond to that? And we do, we respond to that in at least two ways. One is to believe, meaning to accept that what God has done for us is for us personally and that he has forgiven us. And then, because that's just the beginning, now that our relationship with God is restored, we begin to walk in that relationship to become more like him. One of the ways that we've been talking about this month that we become more like him is by experiencing his compassion and sharing that compassion with others. So we're going to talk about that in a verse in 2 Corinthians, a couple of verses. We're going to talk about God's cycle of compassion. 2 Corinthians is, as you might have gathered, the second letter of Paul to a church in Corinth in the first century that he wrote. The Apostle Paul traveled around uh, the Mediterranean area in the first century, telling people about God and establishing churches, and then he wrote to them to help them get organized and to stay healthy. And then the second letter that we have that he wrote to the Corinthians, if you've got a written Bible, if you've got a hard copy Bible, it's somewhere around the middle of the New Testament. Otherwise, you can look at it online. I will also show it to you on the screen. But in this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he starts his letter with words about compassion. And here's the way it reads. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, let me go back here. I've underlined this word mercies because in the Greek, which is the language that Paul originally wrote this letter in, this word that is translated mercies in this version can also be translated compassion. Matter of fact, in the New International Version of the New Testament of this letter, that's exactly the way they've translated it. So let me take a look at that version with you. And this is the way, I went too far. This is the way it reads in the New International Version. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Now Paul, as he often does in his letters, he starts off with praise to God, but he goes on to praise him and talk a little bit about the character of God, the nature of God. And he describes him as the father of compassion. That's a great phrase in English because it indicates not only that God the father is compassionate, He's the father of compassion. It's a characteristic of him, but also that he is the father of it. He's the originator of compassion. He is the one that created it and models it for us. He's the ultimate example of compassion. Paul says he is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Now, when Paul was talking about our troubles, meaning the troubles that he was experiencing, he wasn't just talking about, you know, bad internet coverage and an occasional flat tire. Paul lived a very difficult life. In many times he was imprisoned. He was beaten. Everywhere he went, he encountered resistance. He was shipwrecked. He almost died a number of times. And sometimes the worst troubles he, affect, he, he experienced 
were from the people within the very churches that he was trying to help. But from that experience, Paul said, in all those troubles, in all our troubles, God comforts us so that for the purpose of we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Paul is describing this cycle, if you will, that I used the term I used before, this cycle of compassion, where we receive in our difficulties, in our troubles, comfort from God so that we can then comfort other people. It makes me think of an image that you may occasionally see at certain festive gatherings that people set up these towers, these pyramids of glasses, and they fill them from the top, either with champagne or sparkling cider or some sort of festive drink, and they fill the top glass and it overflows to fill all the others. That's a word picture for what Paul is describing of the way God works that he's the source. But if we let him fill us, he fills us to overflowing so so that we can become the conduit, the vessel, the vehicle by which other people experience his comfort as well. Now, sometimes when I think about these things, I often wonder why. Why does God choose to work this way? Because it's not just in this example, but throughout the Bible, we read of God choosing to work through people. If you think about God and God's capabilities, you think, well, why doesn't he just do it himself? And I know speaking personally, if God tries to involve me in anything he's doing, the only thing it can do is slow him down. I mean, half the time I spend complaining and resisting and saying, I don't want to do it. And by the time he convinces me, he could have just had it done himself. But for whatever reason, God chooses to work that way. He chooses to work through us When we let him, he chooses to be compassionate to our world through us. And you kind of want to say why. And I think I can come up with at least a couple possibilities. Number one is when it comes to compassion, we all know that we appreciate somebody who empathizes with our situation. It's easier to receive advice and comfort and encourage from somebody when we know they've been through some difficulties that are similar themselves. But also in God's master plan, his goal isn't just to work through us. His goal is to work in us. I said earlier that in restoring this relationship back with God, it's not just to know him, it's also to become like him. And when God works through us, when he expresses his compassion through us to others, we become changed. We become more like him. As I've thought about this passage and reflected on these verses that Paul wrote, one of the things I've realized is this, is that I spend most of my time, perhaps appropriately, praying that things will change. God, open up the schools. God, open up the businesses. Get us back to normal. Heal people. Take away COVID. And there's nothing wrong with that prayer for sure. God encourages us to do so. One of the things I've realized is that I I need God's comfort. And I've started to pray in addition to that, God, comfort me. God, provide your comfort. Open up uh, your comfort, my heart to receive your comfort. I I didn't really introduce myself at the start of this uh, this talk, this message, but um, some of you may know that I serve here at Calvary Church on our board as part of our, our board of elders. And that's part of the leadership role that we have here from both a legal sense, but also certainly from a 
a, a biblical sense, a spiritual sense. And one of the things, one of the burdens that's been in our heart is we very much want to be together. We want to be open and we want to invite everyone back so that we can worship not just online together, but physically together. That's part of our heart. But we also want to be prudent as to what is appropriate within these circumstances. And so as we pray for God to change things and to give us wisdom as to how we proceed, I'm also praying that God will comfort us, that he will comfort me, he will comfort you, so that we will comfort others. With all that and with that passage, I suppose I could probably end the message right here. And some of you may be even ready for me to be done. That's fine. I accept that. But some of us are in a little bit deeper situation. That may be a little bit too tidy. We're still struggling. We're saying, hey, I'm in pain. I, I like the idea that God's going to comfort me, but I'm not finding it. I'm not experiencing it. And what I want to offer to you is the idea that pain is real. It's not a minor thing. There is real pain in a global sense. There is hurt and there is suffering, no doubt about it. And you maybe have even experienced it in a very personal level, having lost your job or, or perhaps lost a loved one. And that grief is real. And you're saying, where is God in my 2020? I don't have a silver bullet answer for you. I can share with you that though I'm grateful that in 2020, I have not lost anyone close to me. But I have experienced loss in my life. When I was growing up, a little child, five years old, I lost my mother. When I was in college, I had a younger brother who was killed in a motorcycle accident. And even after all these years, I can still recall the pain of that grief, at times feeling like just this ocean that overwhelmed me and that I felt like I was never going to get out from underneath. So perhaps you can relate to some of those feelings. I don't have the answer for you, but what I want to offer to you is a suggestion. Maybe not when you're in those deepest, darkest times, but when you're coming out of them, when you're feeling a little bit more yourself, let me suggest this to you. Start with God. Start with God, not with yourself. Because our natural tendency is that we start with ourselves. Now, I've got this diagram here, and it may be completely lost on you. I'm not a graphic artist, so I apologize in advance. The concept here is that me or you, us, we're the little blue circle here. God is the big yellow circle. And our natural tendency is to start with ourselves and our own experience and to look out and say, what does that say about God? What does that say about our universe? That's this kind of this idea of these arrows going out. Because that's the very normal and natural thing for us to do. We say, we, we, act, uh, we ask sort of the abstract question of things like, well, I could never believe in a God who allows children to starve. Or maybe it's more personal than that. We say, God, I'm suffering. Where are you? I I'm I'm a decent enough guy. I'm just trying to do the right thing. And Give me a little help here. Where are you? That's very normal. It's very natural. I'm just going to suggest to you that it's not necessarily the most helpful approach. What we need to do is to start with God. To start with God as he actually is and to consider the immeasurable compassion of God. So, Here's some biblical suggestions. Solomon, one of the most wise men in all the earth, 
wrote most of the book of Proverbs. And a couple of highlights are here on the screen. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Both of them are re-emphasizing uh, this idea of starting with God. Now, this is all a little bit philosophical, uh, I will admit. And I get kind of geeked out and nerdy about some of these philosophical questions, but they're not for everyone. So if this is not your thing, feel free to refresh your cup of coffee or maybe in compassion, refresh the cup of coffee of the people who are with you. Um, don't worry, I'll wave you back in when we get a little bit more practical. Here's my imperfect diagram reversed. The idea here is what I mean by starting with God is that rather than doing, again, the very natural thing of saying, God, I'm in pain. Where are you? We start with, what is God like? What do I know about him to be true? What are those characteristics about him that I find in the Bible? And if I know those to be true, if I can take that perspective, what does that say about my circumstances? If God is compassionate, if he cares, then what does that say for the circumstances I'm experiencing? What does that mean for what I'm experiencing? I'm going to go back now and maybe get a little bit more practical. So for those of you who checked out a little bit um, on this philosophical question, I'll, I'll just give you one more diagram and then we'll make it practical with a verse from Matthew. This idea here, I took sort of the same diagram and I made the big circle of God that much bigger. Because what I want to suggest to you is that God's compassion is so great, it is immeasurable. That God has the ability to not only feel pain, but also feel compassion for us even greater than we can understand. So here's where we get practical again. This is where we finish with talking about God's compassion in a very practical way. We're going to look at the Gospels, and in Matthew chapter 23, Matthew's the first Gospel in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 23, we have a very interesting passage. Good portion of Matthew 23, the section is titled, The Eight Woes, because Jesus goes on a diatribe where he's talking to the religious leaders of the time, and he's listening, listening, listening to, for them all the things that they have done wrong, and he starts each category, each topic, each list with woe to you. And he goes on to just rail on them. He says, woe to you, you blind guides. Woe to you, you whitewashed tombs. He talks about how they travel across the earth to make a convert, but then they make, they make that convert worse than he was before. And he, it's this very much this sort of fire and brimstone kind of a message. He's really railing on them. And you think to yourself, wow, these guys are in trouble. But at the very end of that passage, after he's really brought the hammer down, he says these words in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 and 38. And his whole tone, his whole demeanor changes, at least as I read this passage. He goes from being fiercely anger, angry at these guys for all that they've done to almost a broken-hearted state. He says these words, almost just out to the air to anyone who will hear them. 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. This is a staggering sentence or group of sentences to read from Jesus' mouth in any situation. But if you dig a little deeper with me to really try and grasp it, think about this. This is the God of all the earth made man and he's crying out to the people of the city of Jerusalem, his people. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets. These aren't the good guys. These are the guys that have rejected what God has tried to do to, for them. You who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How often have I wanted to gather you together? It's amazing to think that God experiences rejection. It says, how often have I wanted to gather you together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. This is the God of all the earth experiencing the pain of a rejection. But in that rejection, in being rejected by his people, he doesn't turn away. He doesn't just uh, storm off in anger or again say, as we kind of described before, fine, do what you want, you're on your own. He doesn't do that. He comes to them. You were unwilling. God has experienced rejection and the pain, not only of their rejection, but God being divine, Jesus being able to see the future, he says, behold, your house is being left to you desolate. He's speaking in the present tense, but he's describing what will happen to them in the future. Jesus is weeping for the people of Jerusalem that have rejected his offer to care for them. And he knows that as a result of that, they will suffer desolation. He can see into the future and he suffers even more than they can because he understands the ramifications of what they are choosing to do to reject him. It's an amazing passage. So this is what we're saying about God's compassion for us. The compassion of God is that he comes to us in our pain. His heart breaking with ours. My message and encouragement to you is this, is if Jesus felt the way he did for the people of Jerusalem, he's not unmoved by your pain. He experiences it perhaps even more than you do. And he enters into it with you. His heart breaking with ours, but not to stop there to provide for our comfort if we can receive it. A comfort that only he can provide. A comfort so abundant that it overflows what we need to enable us to comfort others. Going back to that verse again, I hope that you can join Paul in turning this into a praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in the midst of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. We have journeyed through 2020 and many of us have paid a significant price 
in this year. And so my encouragement to you is don't let that investment go to waste. Receive the comfort that's proportional to the suffering that you've experienced. Proportional to it and more so that it overflows from you to those around us. That's the investment that will pay off for 2020. And that's God's invitation for 2021 that we can be a part of what he wants to do in this world. So as we close this section of this morning, let me pray for you and for all of us. Heavenly Father, we are in many cases tired and struggling. In some cases, we are um, more resilient and positive. But wherever we come to you today, whether we're asking where are you or whether we're asking and thanking you for being here with us, God, I pray that you would meet us where we are. And I pray that you would open our hearts to receive the comfort that we would need, not just to selfishly fill up ourselves, but so that we can overflow with the comfort you provide to those around us. Because God, we see that our world needs it. God, work in us. Have mercy on us as we look forward to 2021. In Jesus' name, amen.